turn to uh, Revelation chapter 19. Those of you that were here on Sunday for our Sunday morning service will recognize it's the same passage, and uh, it's a very similar sermon, uh, largely the same. So apologies for that, but you'll get it real deep, in-depth here uh, for that. Uh, and we're going to pick up there in chapter 19. We'll pick up with verse 11 uh, and see what John sees here. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Uh, I have to admit that not always has Christmas been my favorite season of the year. Uh, I, do, I, I have come to like the season largely because of Sylvia. You know, you didn't know that, did you, Sylvia? But, uh, you know, it's just hearing stories of people who've come to faith in Christ, who've really valued the season, and it's meant so much to them. It's really reinvigorated me with the Christmas season. And I think, you know, the two reasons why I haven't been a big fan uh, often is, one, uh, it's the focus on presents and junk. Uh, we've never been present givers. In fact, Karen and I made the decision to not give each other presents at Christmas uh, and only give kind of token presents to family members, which we stopped giving after a few years because they didn't appreciate our token. So, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, but the other thing is probably the thing that really annoys me a lot is how we want to tame Jesus at Christmas time. You know, Jesus can get lost amongst the presents or the picture of Jesus as that little baby lying in a manger is so tame, uh, it's so controllable. I mean, after all, uh, we all would have power over a baby. You know, we're all stronger than a baby. And so it's very easy to put Jesus in the manger and celebrate that and ignore what most of the Christmas carols say about that reality uh, and just tame it down and make a Jesus that we control a Jesus that we set demands on, a Jesus that we determine his limits and, and how much he's going to influence our lives and, and you know, whether he's our personal Lord and Savior or whether we're going to commit our lives to him and, and how much of our lives we're actually going to commit to him. Uh, and the reality of Jesus is much greater than that. And these three weeks I'm going to be talking today, I'm talking about the king that is coming uh, and then... Uh, next week, I'll talk about some of the prophecies given about this king, and, and the king will come, and then we'll end up the third week then, the king has come, and seeing that reality of Jesus uh, lying in the manger, who he really is. And so that's kind of the flow of these, uh, of these few weeks. And I think this passage in Revelation gives us such a tremendous picture 
of the reality of Jesus as the coming king, of his power and his glory and the challenge that he presents to us. Because the picture of Jesus in this passage is not always an easy picture to come to terms with. And so I want to go through it very, very quickly uh, just to give us a sense of what John saw here. Now, in this case, he sees heaven opened. He sees heaven ripped aside. Before, it's been like the curtain has been withdrawn, but now he sees the full revelation of heaven. And here's the rider on the white horse, and the rider, of course, we know, is Jesus Christ himself. And the white horse is a sign of victory, and it means that Jesus, when he comes, is coming in victory. So often we get discouraged because we think, where is my victory now? Why, why, why can't I get through this problem? Why can't I get over this hurdle that I'm facing? But the reality is that Jesus is coming in victory, that what might seem right now to be a temporary setback eventually will be completely swept away in the glory and majesty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He is the one who is faithful and true. He is the one who will accomplish everything He promised that He would accomplish and he is the one who is the very embodiment of truth. Truth has to reflect reality as it really is in order for it to be true. You know, if I said, hey, I'm, I'm the Queen of England, you would, you would rightly laugh because it doesn't have any relationship to reality as it actually is. But Jesus is the very definer of reality. Reality as we know it came into existence through Jesus, so he is faithful, he is true, he is the definer of the reality, and he is the one who will come in perfect righteousness to act on behalf of God. You know, if we try to act, all of our, all of our actions are biased by our own limited perspective, our fleshliness, our sinfulness, uh, the degree of sanctification we have, so many different things. But Jesus has a right relationship with people, a right relationship with God, a right relationship with reality, so that in righteousness He acts. And I'm going to talk about how He acts here a little bit more in just a moment. His eyes are like flames of fire. He sees everything, and on His head are many diadems, which means He controls everything. And He has a name written that no one knows. Now, the whole idea behind a name that no one knows, if no one knows your name, you have power over that person. But if somebody knows your name, they have power over you. Uh, I talk about the, the example of Rumpelstiltskin, the great fairy tale. And uh, the key was when the young girl knew his name. And once she knew the name, the knowing the name gave power over her. And there is a name that Jesus has that no one knows, meaning no one has power over Jesus. He is the one who sees all things. He is in control of all things. He's the king of all things. And nobody has power over him. Nobody can force him to do anything. Nobody directs him. Nobody controls him in any way, shape, or form. He's clothed in this robe that's dipped in his blood, the blood that he shed on the cross, which is the blood of his love and the blood of his authority. What gives Jesus authority to come and do all of this is not that he rose from the dead, it's that he died on the cross willingly. That's what gives him that authority that he has 
to come in and have the influence he has. He's made the ultimate sacrifice. He's demonstrated the ultimate love, and his robe, which is an indicator of his authority, is dipped in this blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So it's pointing again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the one who is fully God and fully human. He carries all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. So he's the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now, there's a lot of debate on what the armies of heaven are here. I won't go into the fullness of that, but I'll tell you what I believe. I believe the armies of heaven here are the bride of Christ. And the reason why is if you go up just a few verses more in this same context, it talks about uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And so the armies of heaven, instead of having fine linen, they have white linen, but it's bright and pure. It's the same kind of thing. So I think this is the bride coming with Jesus, but we don't do the war with Jesus. Notice all of this is done by Jesus himself. He doesn't need our help is the whole idea here. He doesn't need us for anything. So the armies of heaven are there. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. The sharp sword here is his word. And so just as God created by the word, Jesus defeats the armies of the Antichrist by his word. This is not a physical battle. This is not Jesus taking up a sword and hacking people down. This is Jesus. This is Jesus speaking and bringing victory simply by speaking it forward. And he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. This word rule here is the word shepherd, literally. He's going to shepherd the nations. So it's not like this violent overthrow for the purpose of conquering and ruling, but it's actually Jesus speaking forth, bringing victory over the Antichrist, over all evil, over all the powers of hell, in order to shepherd the nations. And he will shepherd the nations with this rod of iron, which says he shepherds the nation with power and with authority. He is the one who's going to lead us into the green pastures together as all the nations of the world. Now, the thing that we often struggle with is this idea of he judges and makes war, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Now, what is this? Well, put simply, it is Jesus removing everything that hinders love. Love requires wrath. We don't normally think of that, but think about this. If I let somebody beat up on my wife, when I have the ability to change that, is that, am I showing love for my wife? No, I'm not. No, I need to act within my power to remove everything that would inhibit my wife from becoming the woman she can be and that would inhibit my love for her and for her experiencing my love. And this is exactly what God is going to do. This is exactly what Jesus is going to do. In this moment, he will remove everything that hinders love and eventually, we know that God's purpose is that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth in which we experience His love for us 
and love for one another perfectly. And that is what Jesus is going to do. So that on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus that is coming is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This Jesus lying in the manger is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he came the first time as a baby, but he will come again in the fullness of his kingship in order to bring God's loving rulership fully into this reality. And we know that God, through Jesus, will actually rule this earth for a season after his coming in love to demonstrate what this world could be like, should have been like, before Adam and Eve sinned. And Jesus will accomplish all of this, not by military might, not by political might, but by love, the power of his love manifested in his glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that is the reality that we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that you would just fill our vision with this reality of Jesus, seeing him as he truly is, knowing him as King of kings and Lord of lords, the word of God made flesh, the commander of the armies of heaven, the one who has a name that no one knows but himself, the one who is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us know him and let us walk in the reality of who he is. No matter what we are going through in our own lives, no matter what our world is going through, let us live in the fullness of that reality. To your glory, honor, and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.